Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So, we're in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. Uh, lately, I've been in 15 Psalms a day. So, I was in 15 before we came to you this morning. I went to, because today is the second, I went to Psalm 2. Then I did all the two Psalms. Psalm 2, 12, 22, 32, 42, 52, and I read through all of them, prayed through all of them. And I, I, you don't have to do 15 a day. I think five a day are wonderful, but it's great to stay in the Psalms. Because Jesus, we suspect, was in the Psalms every day. The people of God love the Psalms. There's something about this book. Anyway, this book is broken down into five books. So the Psalms are actually five books. And this book, book five, is about the people of exile who recognize we're not in exile forever. Soon we're out of exile, and this is going to be the first song of book five that we sing out of exile. So this song needs to be regularly on the lips of the formerly exiled people. So if, if you are formerly exiled, you're no longer exiled, you are now redeemed and you're out of prison, you say, "Woo! this is my song. I like this song, this one right here. So, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named John Wesley. I uh, ho- hope that you have. Uh, he started this great movement called Methodism. We ought to say God started this method called Methodism. He started this movement called Methodism through a guy named John Wesley. We forget about his brother sometimes. Uh, just read a biography about Charles Wesley. It was a great biography. His brother wrote songs, like 9,000 songs. He wrote about one song a day every time he wrote. I mean, he wrote some songs. And he was a religious guy before he was saved. So was John Wesley. And Charles Wesley accepted the Lord about a year, uh, at least a few weeks ahead of John. And so they had this great experience. And when Charles had his experience with the Lord, he found the Lord first and then John. When Charles found the Lord, he couldn't help but write a song. And I went to a seminary that basically claimed this song as their song. You can't go through that seminary without knowing all the verses because we sang it all the time. And it's this great song, And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's love? Great song. But I love verse 4 most of all. Charles Wesley, who had never been in a prison except the minister. and Boy, he loved to go into prison to minister. So did John. They loved to go in to the cells and sing about the love of Jesus. And Charles, who had never been in prison himself, wrote verse 4 of And Can It Be. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye, Lord, your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. (laughs) I love that. I was asleep in prison, but I woke. The dungeon was flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh, I love that. Makes me want to sing it right now. Or he did once a day. I said, sweetheart, let's just sing this song. So we did. And so I've been thinking about the imprisoned. That's what this part of the song, 107, is all about, is the imprisoned. And I was thinking about it. I thought, why do people go to prison? Uh, is the criminal mind a little bit different than the rest of our minds? And I started thinking, Probably not, because this wasn't about necessarily those physically imprisoned, although the exiled people were. 
They're going to be singing this song for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. And it's going to be a song about you and me. That we were in prison and God set us free out of prison. We were once captive and now we are free. We were once inside, but now we're on the outside. This is our song, your song, my song. This is everybody's song. Still, I wanted to find out what the theories were about why people are actually in prison. And uh, let me see here. I got one, two, three, uh, three or four of them. The, the first one is demonology. I thought this was, this was kind of interesting, kind of powerful. Demonology, in so much as you had a situation where most people thought if you were in prison, it was because you had been incredibly disobedient. And the only thing that could, that, 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 that could be understood as is you got a demon. And I'm thinking, well, that's just silly. Of course not. But then I started thinking about it more. We had a district mission area. Uh, all the churches around here, I'm kind of supposed to be the pastor that, you know, is providing some leadership for them. It's pretty poor leadership, I can tell you. <laughs> but once a month, we get together. And I had our friend in Roberto Stevenson. Remember Roberto? He's been up here preaching before from Mexico City. Probably got the largest church in Mexico. He was up here preaching Pentecost Sunday a couple Pentecosts ago. And uh, I had him in to talk about spiritual warfare to our preachers Saturday. Yeah, it was yesterday. And uh, boy, did he lay it on us. But when you got done talking to him, and I'm read, also reading a book right now about spiritual warfare and about how the whole world is a spirit world, I'm thinking, that's not so crazy. There's a demonology theory. That is, criminal behavior is a result of a demon-possessed mind and body, so exorcism is necessary to those who are in prison. Now remember, I'm not talking about, they, they are, they're talking about physical prison, I'm talking about us. Could it be that the demons have too much of our lives? I'm reading books right now. I heard yesterday Roberto Stevenson say, hey, you can laugh about it all you want. They're not laughing about it in Africa right now. They're not laughing about it in South America. And the serious Christians today aren't laughing about it. There's something wrong for those of you who are imprisoned. There's something wrong. You're giving too much of your ear to the devil and to the devil's ways. You need to clean some things up to be all that God wants you to be. So this demonology, I remember years ago, years ago, years ago, I'm trying to think when, how old was I? I had to be in college. But I remember my poor sisters, she, she, she would come home during the summers from college. She had no privacy at all. You know, most families will have a, a separate bedroom for the girl, not us. She got dumped in with all the boys. So there were four bunk beds and she was one of them and and I remember she was on the bottom bunk and I was on the top bunk. And I got home from the movies, went to the movie. And I got home from the movies. And uh, I mean, I was wrestling around. And she finally in the middle and I said, Matt, what's wrong? I said, Lisa, you got to help me. She goes, what's wrong? I said, I just saw the exorcist. Y'all just don't do that, okay? I'm going to tell you something. What it made me was a believer in the devil. Now, I don't need that. I started reading after that moment. I started reading the New Testament. Guess what? The devil shows up like a lot. Like there is such a thing as demon possession. We've got to take it seriously. And those of us who don't take it seriously aren't taking the Gospels seriously. 
So I started thinking, and by the way, I've never saw, I'm not sure since that moment I've ever seen a horror flick. And I want to tell you why. Because I believe it. Now, I don't believe all the stuff. But I'm just saying, I believe that there is a world of demons. There is a world of the devil. I believe that the devil wants to possess people, and I am scared of it. I don't want it. I fear it. Therefore, I don't pay that a whole lot of attention. I pay Jesus a lot of attention. I'm not reading Satan's book this morning. I read 15 Psalms, same Psalms that Jesus read. That's what I want to do with my life. I don't watch a lot of horror flicks. It scares me. It really scares me because I believe there is a world like that. And Jesus, I want all of us to know your world. I want us all, anybody here that is bothered by the devil today, maybe someone today who is demon-possessed, that we would be delivered from that devil right now. In the name of Jesus, Satan, be gone. Devils, demons, be gone from this church, be gone from the people of this church. Amen and amen. There is such a thing as demonology theory that isn't that kooky. There's another thing here called anthropological theory. Why are people in jail? Well, because criminality is inherited. In other words, you could be born criminal. You have that mind. You have that bent. I'm thinking, well, that's not so crazy either. Bible teaches that. We are all bent towards sin. I didn't get much of a witness on that. Look to your neighbor right now and say, you're a born sinner. You know you were. And that's what the Bible teaches. We were born that way. So there's this anthropological theory. That is, we were born. Now, what's interesting about this, a guy named Cesar Lombroso said, yeah, furthermore, you can tell by the way they look. So as I read this list, kind of look around, see. Large jaw, forward projection of the jaw, low sloping forehead, high cheekbones, flattened or an upturned nose, kind of like, you know, the pastor. Handle-shaped ears, large chins, hawk-like noses or fleshly lips, hard, shifty eyes, scanty beard or baldness, insensitivity to pain, and long arms. As long as you're looking to your neighbor and talking to him, go ahead and say, hey, neighbor, your hawk-like nose and fleshly lips are starting to freak me out a little bit. Yeah, I told Mary, I said, I think I got at least three of those things in that list. Our relationship hadn't been the same since I told her, which was last night. There's the anthropological theory. We're born this way. So first off, demons. Next, we're born this way. Then, I mean, you got to love Sigmund Freud. He had some theories here. Sigmund Freud had three theories. First off, overdeveloped superego. You've got an overdeveloped superego, which means what? Well, it means you are captivated by you most of all, but you feel some kind of guilt complex. You feel guilty for no real reason. And so you commit a crime so that you can get punished, so you can relieve your guilt. Guilt comes before the crime. Hey, y'all, it's just a version of self-fulfilling prophecy. Can I say something today? You're guilty. You are guilty. Amen? You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're gu- And you all on the wing, you're really guilty. You need to get in the center of this thing. Come on. You're all guilty. You can laugh at Freud all you want. Truth is, 
whole point here is you've got to watch out the self-fulfilling prophecy. Because Freud didn't think far enough back. Because if you think further than sin, what you remember is we were made in the image of God. Your great, great, great granddaddy, guy named Adam. Your great, 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 great grandmama, gal named Eve, were made in the image of God. That's what God intended you to be made into. So you just got to think about, hey, I've been made in the image of God. Sure, I have allowed that image to be marred, my guilt, even mine, but still, I'm in it. So if you're going to, if we we're going to talk about self-fulfilling prophecy today, live into that. Live into the image of God. That's what he made you in. Next is this, the pleasure principle, said Freud. He had three of them. And the pleasure principle is simply this. Humans have unconscious biological urges and a desire for immediate gratification and satisfaction. I'm thinking, hey, Freud didn't need to be around to tell me that. I want pleasure. want it now. Anybody know anybody like that? Anybody like that? I want pleasure. I want it now. Remember our friend Larry Perry was up here one day giving this testimony? I mean, it's a great testimony about how he was addicted to crack cocaine. And that crack cocaine, one day Jesus came into his life, and that crack addiction, by a miracle, and this is a miracle, I'm going to tell you, that crack addiction went away, and he loved Jesus the next day with all of his heart, and he never went back. That's a miracle. Crack is some evil stuff. It don't go away that fast. It did with Larry. Praise God. But I remember Larry saying, hey, y'all don't, y'all a bunch of goody two-shoes. Most of you don't have any idea about crack, so let me tell you. This is what crack's like. You get a hit of it, and it makes you feel better, ten times better than the best feeling you've ever had. So think about the best feeling you ever had, then think ten times that feeling, and that's crack. And you get a hold of that feeling, and then the second time you say, I want that feeling again, but you can't quite get there. And the next time you want that feeling again, you can't. And pretty soon you're addicted, trying to get the feeling again, immediate gratification. I'm thinking, well, most of us hadn't had a problem with crack cocaine. Some of us have. I can tell you right now, some of us have. But whether we have or we haven't, this I know. A lot of us are in the Freud's immediate gratification theory. And it's not Freud. That goes back to the Bible, too. And Freud had a third theory, and it was the parent principle. And that is, you get your moral principles from your mama and daddy. Let me say this. I always ask every parent, about ready to be a new parent, Make up an age 18 list. What do you want your kid to be like at age 18? And it shouldn't be things like, well, you know, I couldn't be quarterback, so I want my kid to be the quarterback. No, not stuff like that. See, I want a healthy kid. But also, I'd like my kid to know some calculus. i like my kid to know just kind of things you'd like for this child to be like at age 18. Then you need to live a kind of life where they'll know those things. We did it. We think it's a smart thing to do. But I'll say this. Be careful with something like that. Because they cannot get a relationship with Jesus from you. In other words, there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Right? There's only children in the kingdom of God. You've got to go directly to Jesus and say, Redeem me, even me, and make me yours as a child, not as a grandchild. I want to be yours. Train up a child in the way he should go, no question about it. But y'all, you need to know that everybody needs a personal relationship with Jesus. So the last one is this, the social learning theory. And that is, 
Whoever you're around, criminal behaviors learn through repeated exposure to rewards. So what does this mean? It means positive and negative reinforcement. The things in your life that were positive reinforced, you tend to want to do those things the rest of your life. Things that were negative reinforced, you tend to want to do those things the rest of your, or not do those things the rest of your life. I'm going to tell you, absolutely true. Except I wonder if Freud ever knew about Jesus Christ who could break in and stop negative reinforcement the wrong way or could stop positive reinforcement in the wrong way. I guarantee you. But this stuff's real. Benjamin Bloom was a great educational researcher. Benjamin Bloom said, all right, I'm going to do a study of exceptional talents. And so he, he covered Olympians and neurologists and sculptors, world-class talents. He tried to figure out what made them so special. And one group of people he was talking to were great, world-class at art. He started talking to them, and he started talking to these other talents, and he noticed something. Whenever they brought home, when the art student would bring home a good writing paper, and they'd go up to mom and say, Mom, look, look at this great, I got an A-plus on my writing project. Mom would look at that and say, oh, that's interesting, and set it aside. But when they brought home some artwork, that may or not have been A work, but it was artwork, and says, oh, oh my goodness, look at this art. And she'd put it on the refrigerator and brag about it when dad came in the door and say, "Woo, look at this art. It was celebrated, simply that. It was celebrated. And in a child's life, that which is celebrated gets puffed. That which is not celebrated goes by the wayside. And the great artists of the world had their work celebrated even at age three. And their other stuff, not so much. You think, what's the way around all this stuff? I mean, if it's positive, that's all good. But if it's negative, what can I do? I'm in a mess because I agree with Freud. I see the anthropological, I see the demon thing. I see all of these things looming large in my life. Is there a way around for me? And y'all, indeed, there is. There's Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10 of Psalm 107. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and in chains. Listen, we are all in chains one way or another until Jesus sets us free. We know about prisons in these days, particularly in the time of Paul. Paul apparently spent about 25% of his missionary life in prison. Now think about that. Paul spent his time in prison, wrote a lot of his letters from prison. He was uh, locked up in Philippi, in prison two years in Caesarea, two or more in Rome. And Roman imprisonment was nothing fun. Uh, you were stripped naked, and then you were flogged, whipped. You were bleeding, and your wounds went untreated. You sat in painful leg or wrist chains. The cells were dark. They were damp. They smelled. There was unbearable cold. There was a lack of water. There was cramped quarters. There was a sickening stench from human waste. Because there were no toilets, so you just went where you were. And it was never cleaned up, so it was just a smelly, horrible, miserable. The prison food was horrific. Because of the horrific conditions of these prisons, many prisoners begged for a speedy death, and others just simply committed suicide. Conditions so bad that you wanted to die. And so when the writer of Psalm 107 was putting all this data together, he said, you know, some people in exile have felt just like that. Their circumstance so bad, they just want to die. They said, for days from now, we need to keep singing the song because God wants us out of there. Look at verse 13. Well, I love verse 13. 
they cried out to the Lord. (laughs) They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of the distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. So let us give thanks to that kind of God who shatters gates of bronze and cuts barns of iron asunder. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's our God. No matter how bad your circumstances today, he can get you out. In Quebec, there are prisons, and there they have a no-smoking rule, which some people say, man, that's hard. No smoking, are you kidding me? They have a no-smoking rule. But, you know, we've talked about this before. Some of our friends here told me, you know, smoking finds a way. You say no smoking, they'll find a way. And so these prisoners decided, yeah, we're going to find a way. What they resorted to was taking a mixture of tea leaves and residue from nicotine gum. They were given nicotine gum to get them over their habit of smoking. They would use the residue from nicotine gum for cigarettes. And so there was a guy named Robert that said, yeah, I used to smoke that. And by the way, they'd roll them up in a page of the Bible. And that's why some prisons won't, uh, won't let the Bible in because they use the pages for cigarettes. And so... There's a guy there named Robert says, yeah, I smoked my way through Matthew. Then I smoked my way through Mark. Then I had a good time smoking Luke. Then I got to John. And I read about how God loves me. Now I don't smoke because I'm a Christian. And this is what he said. I suspect he found John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish in that prison, but have life and have life everlasting. That's our God. He loves us so much he gave his son to die on a Roman gibbet, to bleed that that blood might wash us from our sins and that we might belong to that father, to that son, and to that spirit. Now look down at verse 33. We didn't even read this this morning, but we're going to every time for the next couple weeks. Who is this God? If we're in prison, can he change our circumstance? If we are sick, can he make us well? If we are hurting, can he bring us happiness? Look at verse 33. This is the God that changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into thirsty ground. He can change a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who will it. But he changes wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land and the springs of water. There he makes the hungry to dwell, so that they may go ahead and live in an inhabited city, and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. And he blesses them and they multiply greatly. Oh, I just love this. In the Napoleonic era, there was a guy named Charnay. And he was thrown into prison because he'd said some joke about Napoleon. They found out about it, threw him in jail. It so offended Napoleon that they just they let him rot there. He was very embittered. Just a joke, just a throwaway line, and now he's in jail and going to probably spend the rest of his life there. So he begins losing his faith in God. How could this happen to a guy that loves God? Now I'm going to spend the rest of my life in jail. How does that happen? And he was so embittered that he took a rock and wrote into the wall, 
All things come by chance. That was his getting back at God. You are just a chance, God. All things come by chance. Grew more bitter by the day. But there's one spot in the cell where a single ray of sunlight came every day. And out of that hard earthen floor, there came a tiny green blade that started breaking through the ground. It was something living. It was his only living companion. So he nurtured it. He'd get a little water every day. He'd put a little bit of that water on this plant. He cultivated it, encouraged its growth. That little green blade became his friend. He became his teacher in a sense. There bloomed from that little plant. Eventually, after months, a beautiful purple and white flower. And he went over to the wall, and he marked off all things come by chance. And he wrote in its place with a rock, he who made all things is God. Now, a little story got out. The guards found out about it, told their wives. Through the guards and their wives, and all the gossip that can ensue from that little stream, the little story reached the ears of Josephine, who was Napoleon's wife. And she was so moved by it and so touched by it. She went up to Napoleon and says, can we let this guy out? She said it enough times that Charnay was indeed set free. He dug out that little precious little prison flower and took it with him. And he nurtured it the rest of his life. And he did some memory work after that. And part of that memory work came out of the Sermon on the Mount. If God can so clothe the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Can I tell you the truth? Some belong in prison. It says in 1 Peter, disobedient spirits are today in prison. It says in Revelation 20, Satan will be imprisoned during the millennium. Disobedient spirits, Satan, guess what? Some belong in prison, but not you. You were made for something better. You were made for freedom. You were made for flight. You were made for running. You were made for the Imago Dei. And God says, let me bleed and let me die. I want you to accept that sacrifice for you so that you can know me and I can set you free as a king of kings and as a Lord of lords. Let me do it. Now, you may well have heard this, but I want to repeat it. Block 14 of Auschwitz. Remember Auschwitz back in the 40s? It was 1941, July. And sirens began to shriek because one guy had got away from Auschwitz. And they were so ticked off that someone had got away that the 600 men that were forced into that particular compound stood in parade the next day. And the deputy commander, a guy named Fritsch, came forth and said, The fugitive has not been found. In reprisal for your comrades' escape, ten of you are going to die by starvation. And so, the men slated for starvation were selected one by one. One name, by one name, by one name. They were going to be put in a hole in the ground, and they were going to starve to death because one guy had got away. There's a guy named Gajanovchek. He was a Polish army servant that was, began sobbing uncontrollably. And all he could say was, my wife, 
my children, my wife, my children. There was a guy named Maximilian Kolb that was a Polish Franciscan priest that pushed his way forward and says, Air Commandant, I have a request. Well, what do you want? Asked Fritsch. Maximilian Kolb says, I want to die in place of this prisoner. I've got no wife and kids. I'm old, not good for anything. Let me starve instead of him. Fritsch thought about it for a moment, and finally he said, Request granted. So they let the guy free. And they stuck Maximilian Kolb in the ground to die. Y'all, that's what this psalm is all about. You can be set free. But what the Gospels teach is this. Someone's got to die. John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be humiliated for you, to shed his blood for you, that Jesus might die so that you could live. Anybody here willing and ready to accept that exchange? Will you please stand? Is anybody here in prison today? I mean, you're here, so you're not in the Hines County Detention Center. I'm not even talking about that kind of prison. And some of you are Christians today, and you still feel like you're in prison in some aspect of your life. You still feel like, I need help and I need hope. You still feel like, I need freedom. I need to be set free. But you don't see a way. And this is what God says to you today. I've done the work necessary that you might live. I've done the bleeding necessary that you might live. I have done what you wanted me to do. Come and give us a chance. You didn't know that that chance would come because, hey, God had to die. But it's happened. It's happened. By this great miracle of the Almighty God, it's happened. He has come. He has died. They laughed at him. They put him in a tomb and they said, that ought to take care of that. But he rose from the grave and said, hey, I did all that for you, my friends, for you. You who are imprisoned can be set free. And I'll say this, you who are in prison and you need salvation, I can set you free unto that salvation. But he says this to you. If you are right now captive to your finances, captive to your family, if you're captive to any dynamic of your life, you need to know I died to set you free. You can be free indeed today, even today, especially today, you can be free. Now, how many believe that today? How many of you are willing to accept that salvation, whether it's salvation 
for you that you might live in the kingdom or it's salvation in some aspect of your life. God, some of us are in prison today. We need freedom. We believe you died. You shed your blood for that freedom. We believe you were marred and made fun of and sacrificed for that freedom. We accept the free gift of salvation today. Say it right now. I accept it. Because I accept it, say it. I'm going to live like I've accepted it. I'm going to live like I've accepted it. I'm going to live like you died for me. Lord, we are in prison no more. We are free in Jesus. We are free in Jesus. Say it, I'm free in Jesus. Say, I'm free in Jesus. I'm free in Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, we celebrate that freedom today. In Jesus' name, hallelujah and amen. God bless you all.